Hi, so today I am joined by my good friend David Cole and just by way of introduction, um, David uh, was previously a full-time church minister um, and is now an international spiritual teacher and retreat leader. He's an award-winning author, founder of Waymark Ministries and the deputy guardian for the community of Aden and Hilda. Um, David is particularly interested in Celtic spirituality and mysticism. Welcome, David. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so uh, I took that sort of little blurb there off the back of one of your books. Um, I have many of your books, um, but I just wondered if you would um, just briefly explain what is Celtic spirituality for those that maybe don't know and mysticism um, and also how you first became interested in those things. Right. Uh, well, it's an interesting question. The first one, what is Celtic spirituality or Celtic Christianity? Mm. Um, there's a wonderful phrase uh, by uh, um, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, in, he gave a lecture and it was put into uh, a book um, and, uh, called Angles and Britain. And he said uh, the, about the phrase Celtic, he said it's a bit like a magic bag uh, into which almost anything can go and out of which almost anything can come. Um, so it's a it's kind of a, a modern phrase that however many people you ask that's possibly how many answers you'll get yes um, so I'll give you mine uh, <laughs> yeah how do you define it <laughs> so um, certainly the Celts were a, a, a collection of people so they were a people like the Angles or the Saxons or the, the Norse or you know what we might class mm, as the English mm. so they were a people group um, so because they were a people group there was a number of different spiritualities uh, so Celtic spirituality uh, is just, it's a bit like saying English spirituality. So it's a bit, a bit mm. of a non-phrase, really. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the peoples themselves were basically the people that kind of populated Northwest Europe, particularly Britain and Ireland, but certainly bits of uh, Northwest France and even Northern Spain. Um, around the kind of Iron Age period of time, it was the Within Britain, certainly, it was the people that the Romans came in and kind of pushed out to the edges and uh, uh, Romanized as they mm -hmm. went through England um, and bits of Wales. <clears throat> um, and, but they had their own flavor of uh, lifestyle. They were a very tribal-based group, a clan-based people, uh, very agrarian, and their spirituality, pre-Christian uh, spirituality, was very earth-based like most indigenous spirituality. So if you think of Native American spirituality, it was a very similar kind of spirituality uh, to that, um, mm. but with their own kind of local uh, flavor to it. So of course, when Christianity came uh, to Britain, which it came here before the Roman Latin church was established, um, but it also kind of came in afterwards as well, uh, the flavor reflected the, the Celtic people. So there was already a flavor of, of how to express the Christian faith before the Latin continental church came uh, with its ideas. Uh, so what people now class as Celtic Christianity is that kind of uh, almost indigenous flavor of Christianity to, to Britain and Ireland. And of course, particularly Ireland, because the Romans never conquered Ireland. Uh, as, as, a, as a military force, as an empire, but then also uh, with the church, it took a bit longer. Uh, so there was this distinctive flavor, distinctive way of looking at things, one or two bits of theology that differed from the, the mainland continental church. Um, and so people are kind of rediscovering that. It died out during the, the, the last half of the first millennia uh, CE, and um, people are kind of rediscovering that now, bits of it that they feel connected to. So. It's, it's a phrase that um, is a little bit 
are disconnected to any kind of one historical reality, but it collects together a number of different bits that have a family resemblance and threads of theology and, and understanding that flow through it. And that's what Celtic mm. spirituality and Celtic Christianity is. Um, and, and mysticism, uh, similarly to, to the term Celtic, could be you know, a, any number of things. Um, and one of the great things I've learned from reading the people that we now class as the mystics of our Christian heritage is that pretty much all of them say you can't define the term mysticism. Uh, Evelyn Underhill, particularly a, 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 20, a very early 20th century um, lady who wrote a lot about mysticism, uh, was very mystical herself, uh, basically said it's, it's a, 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 an undescribable term because it's about the, the transcendent connection we have with something greater. Mm. So it is the, the non-cognitive uh, aspect of a spiritual connection with a deity, with, with God. So um, mm -hmm. if, if you just look at the dictionary, the word mystic uh, in the dictionary is defined as something like um, a person who uses contemplative practice to become of one mind and will with their deity, with their God. Right. Um, yeah. So the contemplatives of our past, who are mostly monastic, but not all of them, mm. um, would, would kind of come under that, that mystic, but the, the kind of the non-cognitive side. Of, does it have uh, the same the i'm just wondering looking at the word does it have the same root meaning as the word mystery i suppose it does doesn't it yeah mystery yeah. mystical so I wonder, mystery, yeah. yeah so it is about the unknown so, isn't it? yeah yeah so so ephesians 3 is a great passage uh, where paul talks about the mystery of god being revealed mm. so that's kind of what mysticism is uh, and and like the that. apostle john one of his epistles talks about knowing god beyond knowing so yeah, mm. becoming conscious of a of the divine beyond our cognitive understanding, and that's really you know where where mysticism really is. It, it's nothing esoteric really, although there's some bits of it that are. It's not necessarily about having transcendent visions, although that's part of it. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just about it's it's about engaging with the mystery of God uh, mm. and being on a non-cognitive side. Um, and what was the other bit of the question? Oh, you, how, uh, how yeah, I, how did how you, I what drew you to that, those things? Yeah, how did you get into that? Um, well, it, it's a bit of a, a whole story, really. So <laughs> maybe we'll be here all day with this. Um, <laughs> Give me the, so the, brief, I, the brief version. <laughs> the, the brief version, the abridged version. Okay, uh, so I was born into a family that went to a very fundamental evangelical ex-brethren kind of church. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned a great deal of, of what the Bible said, but not a great deal about who God was and what God was like and any experience of God. So I'd rejected Christianity by the time I was kind of going into my teenage years, early secondary school period. Mm -hmm. um, still believed in a spiritual context of life, didn't believe that it was just physical. So I still believe there's a spiritual context. Um, yeah. So began to search through my te early to mid teenage years into other other avenues of spirituality and because i come out of a very um, uh, structured strict spiritual context i didn't really fancy going into any of the other organized religion mm. um, so most of my time was spent um, just finding the less structured uh, spiritualities simultaneously of course being a rebellious teenager but in my kind of 14 15 16 year old period of time uh, so thinking what's the best way to rebel against fundamental christian parents i know i'll go and hang out with the local witches and pagans that will send my parents over the edge 
uh, <laughs> which, which it did quite well. Um, but actually within that kind of local pagan Wiccan kind of uh, circuit that I was, began to hang out with in my mid-teens, mm. kind of 15 to 17, 18-year-old um, period of life, I had spiritual experiences. I engaged with the supernatural. Mm. Um, and within that, I discovered the Druidic uh, context, which was um, basically the, the, the pre-Christian Celtic spirituality. So it was a pagan Celtic spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really resonated with me. That way of being, that understanding really resonated with me. And then I had, uh, uh, about 19, I had this mystical encounter with the cosmic Christ. So I had this mystical vision uh, of, of uh, a, a massively transcendent Christ ex- uh, experience. Um, I was convinced it was Christ that I was with, just knowing that beyond my own cognitive understanding, hence the term mystical experience, beyond mm-hmm. the cognitive. Um, I had a bit of an internal battle because my brain, obviously, my cognitive self going, no, we've rejected Christianity. Do you not remember the first 12 years? It was nonsense. Uh, and my inner being kind of going, yeah, but that just happened and I'm convinced it was Christ. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of came to the conclusion that perhaps it was the style of the Christ-centered spirituality that I needed to reject from my path rather than Christ entirely. Mm. Uh, because, of course, the, the Christ that was presented to me as a child was very much the historical Jesus and not this kind of transcendent universal Christ, um, which is what I've encountered. Um, so, yeah, then I had a, a, another interesting kind of uh, quandary of, of how on earth I went back into my normal everyday life with the people that I was hanging around with and, and presenting this new spirituality. Um, so fortunately, one of the people that uh, was, was uh, connected with me at the time worked with our local Youth for Christ Centre and suggested that I actually went and did a year out with Youth for Christ. Um, so not only would I get a qualification in youth work uh, and do theology training and get some theology qualifications, but actually the best, most important thing for me was they would, they would take me out of my home environment and place yeah, me somewhere yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, so I was just breaking away. Mm. So I then spent about 10 or 11 years in different youth work organizations, different churches, being a youth worker through, so basically through all of my 20s into my early 30s. Um, and all through that, never really engaged with mainstream church, never resonated with it, never really liked it. Every experience that I had of, of church was, was, a, a, was fairly negative for me. Um, but stayed with this Christ-centered spirituality purely on the basis that there was still no denying this, this experience that I've had was so strong in my own being mm. that I couldn't deny the spiritual context of life, the spiritual center being Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then completely by accident, my life is a lot of accidents that happen consecutively, but obviously I, I say the word accident, what I mean is that God's yes. in control and, and I stumble across Absolutely. these things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was in a Christian bookshop somewhere, and in those days, this is kind of the late 90s, early 2000s now, um, mm-hmm. uh, Celtic spirituality wasn't a thing in, in Christian circles, you know. So you go into a Christian bookshop now, you get a whole Celtic section. Yes. Where there's books and music and jewellery and art and all sorts. Mm-hmm. So in those days, there wasn't any of that. So it was still seen as very, uh, very suspect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I discovered this book in the corner, tucked away, top of a back shelf in this bookshop called Exploring Celtic Spirituality by Ray Simpson. Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh, I'll have a look at that. I remember this Celtic thing from when I was a pagan. 
um, that really resonated with me and I'll read it and I read it and every word I read you know it was one of those books that you read in it has a complete paradigm shift in your life mm, mm. Uh, and I realized that there was a Christian a very very Christ-centered element to Celtic spirituality mm. uh, where they were very heavily Christ-centered very Trinitarian but Christ-centered um, and it was the first thing I would ever read or heard in my entire life from a Christian perspective that had properly resonated with me. Mm. Um, so going through all my church childhood, going through all the, the things that I'd been through in the years uh, of being a youth worker and working in churches, you know, nothing had really ever resonated with me from a Christian perspective until I picked this book. And so I just assumed that, you know, this is where my own being is, where my heart is, where my own spirituality is, it's got to be this Celtic thing. Just mm. the pagan side of Celtic spirituality resonated and the Christian side of Celtic spirituality resonated. Yeah. Wow. Um, so from then on, that was kind of, I think it was 2001, I think it was a brand new book, uh, or a brand new version of the book that I picked up, I think it's 2001 is the date in there. Um, and so from then on, I just kind of uh, found that, that, decided that was my path and, and continued to learn more about it, find more books and stuff. And then a few years um, after I discovered that book, uh, so 16 years ago now, or just over 16 years ago now in the May, 16 and a bit years ago, um, I had the opportunity to um, have a, a retreat. So the company I worked for, uh, the youth work organization I worked for at the time, um, factored in a personal retreat into our uh, contract as well as um, annual leave. Mm. So they would you know, pay for me to go to a Christian conference or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll go to one of these Celtic places that I've been reading about and discovering and learning about. And I'll just go and spend a week sitting on a rock somewhere and I'll read John's gospel because that was a really important book to the Celts. So I'm just going to go and sit on a rock in this Celtic heritage <laughs> island and read John's gospel. That was my plan for the week. Yeah. And I thought, well, uh, you know, the, 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 the one that everyone goes to is Iona. So I'll go to Iona. <laughs> so I contacted, I emailed the Iona community. I told you it was a long answer, Nick. Yeah, it's sorry. fine. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I emailed the Iona community. Uh, and they said, yeah, you know, come along for a week, join in with the community. So, you, you know, you're part of the community. You'll be doing your washing up and your cleaning and stuff. But then you obviously have time to just be and experience Great. the island and sit in the ruins and that sort of thing. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I was just corresponding backwards and forwards with them, organizing the dates, organizing the trip and everything. Um, and uh, got to the point of booking a room. And at the point of booking a room, I realized that for the last two or three emails, I hadn't been talking to the Iona community. Mm. I'd actually been talking to the diocesan retreat center on Lindisfarne. Oh, how funny. Um, <laughs> and I said, I, I sent him an email. I went, but, but I've been talking to Iona. I have no technical ability whatsoever, Nikki. I don't know, I understand <laughs> how hard these things work. I still don't understand what happened. The only explanation any of them could come up with was the fact that they and the Iona community had been sending big files oh. to each other. So like massive files to each other on email. And maybe one of my emails <laughs> just got caught up in that and ended up bouncing off Iona and going to Lindisfarne. That's amazing. Um, so again, you know, this, this kind of accident that happened, I was suddenly booking a place on <laughs> Lindisfarne instead of Iona. I decided to go. You know, I thought I might as well go to Lindisfarne. It's, it is another one of the Celtic Islands. Yeah. two days less travel so it's it two a days lot more closer. on the island yes. yeah so i was based in london at the time um yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah so it's a lot closer um so that's what i did i went and stayed in uh, marygate house which is the anglican glass and retreat center on the island um 
and uh, wandered around the corner one, one evening after dinner, uh, noticed there was a notice board on the wall of this other building that said they do uh, night prayer at nine o'clock. So I thought, oh, that's fine. It's about half past seven now. I'll just go off and sit on a rock for an hour, do some praying and meditating. Um, and then I'll come back and join in with this night prayer and then go to bed. That sounds like a good plan. So that's what I did, or at least that's what I thought I did. And because I came back to the place where the night prayer was going on and the doors were locked. I thought this is a bit odd. This is not a great way to invite people into a night prayer, <laughs> locking the doors. Um, uh, and there was a group inside. The, the one of the doors was glass. They invited me in and said, what are you doing? I said, I come from night prayer. They said, that's nice. It's, it's quarter past 10. Uh, night prayer was at nine o'clock. So instead of going and meditating for an hour on this rock, I'd gone and meditated for nearly two hours, missed night prayer. Um, but they invited me to have a cup of tea with them. It was lovely. Uh, and they introduced themselves, a little group. There was probably about eight or nine of them sitting around. And, and opposite me in this group, this gentleman, uh, older guy, gray beard, uh, gray hair, uh, white, white really, rather than gray, uh, said, hello, uh, my name is, is Ray Simpson and I'm the founder of the community that owns this retreat center. And I, a couple of people around and my brain said, went, hang on a minute. Hang on, that's He's the, book the I got. one that wrote that book <laughs> that basically transformed my entire spiritual Christian journey. Wow. And now he's sitting opposite me uh, in this place that I shouldn't have been in, <laughs> on an island that I shouldn't have come to. Um, <laughs> in a prayer meeting so, that you almost missed. <laughs> in, a, in a prayer meeting that, well, I had missed. They were just well, you had missed. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So I just said, look, can I, can I come out and chat with you tomorrow about life and all these weird things that are happening to me, like you sitting there? Um, so I spent the next afternoon chatting with him. He introduced me to uh, the community that he had founded. Um, that was uh, not quite that, eight or nine years before that, called the community of Aiden and Hilda, which was a, uh, a new monastic community, which, again, wasn't a big thing in those days. There's quite mm -hmm. a lot of new monastic communities, and new monasticism is a bit of a big thing now. But yeah. in those days, it wasn't. Um, explained what that was and what that meant. I talked about my life and he basically said, well, the life you're trying to live based on the books that you've read about Celtic Christianity, what you've just described is our way of life. This is our monastic rule. You're already living it out. Here is our thing. He gave me their handbook with their rule and I read it and went, but that's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> wow. So he said, well, well, why don't you connect with us then? And, you know, and I thought there's, here is a group of people mm. who have the same kind of resonation with spirituality as I do, living life the same way as I do. I'd not found anybody else where I was or, or around that, that I could connect with and talk about this stuff, and mm. find any sense of uh, accountability or connection with. So, yeah, so I said, oh, I want to join. Can I join now? And he said, no, I'm not allowed. Um, I have to go away and pray about it first. <laughs> okay. So this was in the May. So he sent me home with their handbook and I told me I, I'm not contacting for a couple of months at least. I have to go and pray about it. Um, but uh, there wasn't really any other uh, thought in my mind about it. <laughs> I knew where God, God had led me and, and mm. uh, you know, that, that was it for me. So, that, yeah, that was just over 16 years ago. And uh, as you said in the introduction, I'm now mm. the UK Deputy Guardian for that community. So uh, Guardian is the term that we use instead of uh, Abbot or Amma. Um, right, so right. it's a, a dispersed community uh, for men and women um, with a monastic rule. And, and we have three guardians. Uh, um, and uh, and I'm the deputy guardian for, for the UK. So yeah, so that's 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 kind of my journey. I'll, I'll probably stop talking now, so you can ask another question. 
Um, that was so interesting though it's fascinating yeah <laughs> and so with the because i also mentioned about waymark ministries where so when when did that come about and how did that come about then yeah so i got to a point in my life where i was in, in my early 30s so not old by any stretch of imagination but I'd become much more engaged with the contemplative lifestyle. So not only was I not 18 anymore, I was also being very contemplative, um, still being a youth worker. So, you know, I was doing all this contemplative oh, wow. stuff and then having to go and run youth clubs on a Friday night and Thursday night and training up these overexcitable 18-year-olds, which I can remember being when I was, you know, that, that mm. age and, and mm. being a youth worker and stuff and, you know, kind of bouncing around. And I'm thinking really not me anymore um so <laughs> just, I don't want to just want to sit on a rock anymore. somewhere yeah just want to go and sit on a rock on a friday night and be quiet um so i decided that was the end of me and and uh with, with that career um and, and coincided with uh, the, the company that i worked for at the time so i at that point i worked for crusaders as they were in that oh that i remember period. crusaders um, yes yeah and they were becoming <laughs> urban saints you see um yep. and which is what they are now oh, okay. uh, and as that transition happened the role that I had wasn't going to be part of the new setup of Urban Saint. Mm. So they gave me about 18 months notice and said, look, basically in 18 months time, your role is not going to exist. Um, you can have a look, see if there's any other roles in the, com in the company if you want to in the new Urban Saint uh, setup. But mm. you know, basically your role is going to come to an end. Your contract comes to an end in 18 months and so will your job. And I thought, Do you know what, that's a good, mm -hmm. good, good way of, of kind of going, well, this is the end. I was contemplating that anyway. Mm. And, and I kind of had a bit of a mad moment, you know, because I'd still, this was years later. This is probably, um, this is uh, late 2000s, you know, maybe about, yeah, like about 2007, not that, 2008. Um, and uh, I know probably, probably before that. Um, mm. and, and I still felt the same about mainstream church. I had a slightly mad moment where I decided I might want to become a church minister. Um, in the independent uh, free church movement, um, which is what I did, uh, and did that for about four or five years, maybe a bit more. Um, didn't work out at all whatsoever because I really wasn't made to be in church. <laughs> no. Had a had a slight mad moment there, becoming a church minister. Did it for maybe half a dozen years at most. Um, but within that, within that, I'd started doing things like running a workshop day for uh, teaching. Christian meditation, which I just uh, someone had written a book, uh, uh, published some of my works uh, on that, which also happened by accident. But we won't get into that now; it's too long ago. Um, uh, and, and teaching workshop days on what Celtic Christianity was, and and I'd started doing stuff out in the forest. I'd moved from London at this point and down into the New Forest where I still live. Mm, mm. Um, so this was about 16, 15 years ago. Um, then my daughter was two and a half, and she just turned eighteen. So that sort of period of time ago, um, and uh, yeah, so I was kind of running these things. I was we were in the forest. I was doing nature-based stuff, uh, going out, going look. God's in nature. Look at this. Mm, mm. Um, and that kind of started to gradually become busier. Um, so in uh, 2010, I went part-time with churches um, and uh, went self-employed part-time uh, and founded what's become Waymark Ministries. So I kind of just started doing stuff and then realized that if you go self-employed, HMRC, you get involved and they want a name of your company and stuff. Mm. So I had to make mm -hmm. one up. So um, uh, Waymark uh, had been kind of a, a house group that I'd run. It was the name of the house group I, you know, in the church I was in. They liked to name the house group. Uh, okay. Um, 
So I use the term waymark because a waymark is uh, a, a guidepost uh, guiding you on safe paths mm. when the terrain surrounding is very treacherous. Mm. Uh, so very famous uh, waymarks are the posts on the sands going across the Lindisfarne. Right. Um, they're very famous waymarks yes. because yep. uh, there's a lot of sinking sand uh, on those sands, on the sandbanks. So if you sink in that and the tide comes mm-hmm. in, you know, that's the end of you. Um, <laughs> yes. So you stick to the post. You walk from post to post. It guides you on a safe mm. path when the land around you is treacherous. So I quite liked that term. So I just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, stuck with that for, for the ministry. So that was Waymark Ministries before. Um, and again, it just kind of got busier and busier. And over the last, it was probably um, about two or three years into that, maybe about 2012, 13, um, that uh, I, I was doing so much stuff for Waymark Ministries um, that I didn't really have a lot of time for the other stuff that I was supposed to be doing with churches and, and the community groups that I was working with. Mm-hmm. So I decided mm-hmm. to go full time with Waymark Ministries um, uh, about seven years ago. Um, yeah, and, and it's just kind of carried on getting busier and busier. And so I spend most of my time now leading retreats, doing workshop days, speaking at uh, events and places, doing uh, things like this, this this year particularly, uh, online stuff. Um, but did do a bit of that beforehand. Um, mostly teaching on Celtic Christianity and Christian mysticism. And there is just an increasing interest yeah. and hunger for uh, something that is slightly different from what, mainstream western christianity presents Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people that really are growing people groups that are uh, christ-centered in their spirituality but not very institutionally church-based yes Um, and that's basically the people group i've never aimed at a particular people group Uh, in what i do i've just said this is what i do i advertise everywhere but that's the the people group that kind of Mm. have grown in that so i now am part of the forest church network which is a a growing uh, fresh expression uh, pioneer ministry kind of thing Um, Mm. so we do forest church once a month uh, as well and uh, yeah so uh, i teach and i write and um, people seem to like what i do so i'll just keep doing it until people just stop liking what i do No, and, um, <laughs> um, and you've just written a new book or published a new book, uh, The Celtic mm. Year, A Rhythm of Prayer yeah. and Meditation for the Eight Points of the Celtic Year. Um, and I, as I, I said uh, in the introduction, you know, you have published lots of other books as well about Celtic saints mm-hmm. and things. Um, two, two questions, really. One is, uh, you know, why this new book at this time? And the second mm-hmm. question is about Celtic saints, because I know we've, we've you've kind of briefly mention them but how why how and why are they relevant today when they lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago what on earth can we learn from them yeah okay so we'll start with the celtic year first so uh, it's it's part of the series of four books that brf the bible reading fellowship have published for me Mm. um i i started off with what's now celtic saints it was called something different before it was called 40 days of the celtic saints Mm. um Mm -hmm. but in in historic celtic monasticism uh, there were three periods of the year where they had uh, 40 days of what we would class as Lent. Um, right. So they had the 40 days leading up to Easter, which we still keep, yeah. um, which, that, where they focused on um, obviously the, the passion and crucifixion of Christ, all the things that we focus on there. Mm. Uh, they then had 40 days following Pentecost Sunday where uh, they would focus on the lives of the saints of the past that inspire them. Um, and then they had uh, their Advent period, 
which was also 40 days. So Celtic Advent is 40 days long. So we're already, already well in into Celtic <laughs> Advent. Yeah, so yeah. 40 days, just to stop, say people working it out from Christmas, is the 15th of November. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So November the 15th is the start of Celtic Advent. So I wrote a book, basically, 40-day devotional books, three 40-day devotional books for those three Celtic um, periods of yes. Lent. And of course, three 40s is 120, which is about one third of the year. So in three mm-hmm. sections, one third of the year was, was in uh, a Lenten uh, focus and, and, and period for the Celt. Um, but on top of that, uh, there, there is the, the, then the rhythm of the natural seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's I mean, the, the book came out this year, but of course, the, you know, you, you've got to write the manuscript and send it to the publishers and they've got to edit it and yes. design it and put it in yes. format and stuff. So I actually think it's an incredibly helpful book for the situation we find yes. ourselves in this year. <laughs> mm. uh, but again, that was kind of, you know, that was timing out of my hands. That was coincidence and, and those sorts of things that I, um, you know, don't really believe in. Um, but basically what, what, we, mm. what we discover is that the, the, the calendar before the Romanized calendar came in, in, in Britain mm. and Ireland, was based on the rhythm of the year. Uh, and there's four seasonal uh, points and each season has a midpoint um, yeah. so you know so the four seasons obviously mm. are, are winter spring summer and, and actually harvest they called it but we'll call it autumn mm. that's what mm. we call it now um, and uh, Bede who is a seventh century historian uh, most famous for writing the ecclesiastical history of the English people also wrote a book called On the Reckoning of Time which is a number of computations quite a lot about cycles of the moon but also about the months and, and the way different people and different uh, eras focused on how they did that and particularly in Britain um, and he talks about the four seasons when they start in his ancient calendar uh, and the midpoints of them mm. so uh, basically each each month each season rather lasts for three months or three moons whenever the lunar calendar mm. um, so roughly putting that into our modern calendar uh, the year started with winter so mm. going through the darkness into light so the day like the jewish day like the hebrew day started at sunset their year started in winter so you go mm. through the darkness into the coming light that's the whole of their life was based on that context and mm. um, so it starts with winter and winter is november december and january mm-hmm. um, so it starts on uh the evening of the 31st of october sunset of evening of 31st mm-hmm. of october that's the start of winter Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see we still have a, a celebration at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then February, March, April was spring. Um, May, June, July it was uh, summer. And then August, September, October was harvest. So August is the beginning of the early harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and went right through to uh, end of October where the last kind of nuts harvest was, was being dragged in and, and things like that. Um, so each one was three months or three moons. And then each one had a center point. Uh, so the winter and summer season center point was the solstice. Mm, mm-hmm. The winter solstice being the longest dark, the summer solstice being the longest light, and the spring and autumn center points were the equinox, yes. where the yeah, light and yeah. dark was equal, equal balance. Yeah. Um, and Bede in the Ecclesi- in the uh, on the reckoning of time tells us that that the monastic centers, the Celtic uh, Christians, kept these eight points of the year. Mm. So they had feasts and celebrations. Um, basically every six weeks that's about how, how much it works out so between uh, the start of the season and the midpoint 
is about six weeks and between the midpoint and the start of the next season is six weeks so they partied about every six weeks i like this <laughs> so about every six weeks they had a festival yeah which probably lasted at least four or five days Love so it. you know a bit a bit yeah i mean you read the old testament the jews were like mm. that this is what mm. god is about you know? it's true god is about lots of regular parties um <laughs> So, yeah, and, and on top of that, you know, in the midst of all that, they had those three 40-day periods. So there was a lot of real focus on, on God and the earth and the connection between mm, them. So mm. um, you'll notice that the, the, the eight points of the year, the seasonal uh, aspect of it, the seasons are terrestrial-based and the midpoints are celestial-based. So the seasons are what's happening on the earth and the, and the midpoints are what's happening in space. Oh, so there was lovely. a terrestrial and a celestial put together mm. uh, in each of those seasons. So, yeah, so the Celtic year, um, I, I wrote um, uh, a little thing for each each of those eight points. There's a, a liturgy, so you can create a service around it, um, a week of daily devotions, uh, and then kind of a couple of pages, just kind of extra prayers and blessings. Some of the stuff in all of this is my original, and some of it comes mm -hmm. from various different uh, uh, points of, of Celtic history through, through our heritage, some uh, a lot of it from historic Celtic Christianity back in the first millennia, but also you know a few bits from Celtic lands within the last thousand years too. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, that kind of leads us into the the idea of of, of uh, drawing on the the heritage that we have through the saints of of, uh, of our past, mm. um, and. The stories of the Celtic saints particularly are incredibly inspiring um, because that's what they were written for. So mm -hmm. basically we have uh, 2,000 years worth of Christian history. Um, as Christians, we're very good at knowing the 2,000-ish years of Jewish history uh, <laughs> because we call it the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, and so therefore we think we should probably know it because it's our Bible. But we're not quite so good at knowing the 2,000 years of our own history, yes. uh, which is the last 2,000 years. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there is an incredible amount of incredible people that have lived through that period. Uh, and the Celts particularly, uh, the, that period of time, use the term saints not in the same way as it's used now, uh, but just basically anybody who had lived a life that was inspirational in the faith for anybody mm. else. Once they died, they were classed as a saint. They didn't have to do all this, this kind of miracles at the grave and all that sort of stuff yes. in the Catholic Church yes. nowadays to be canonized and sainted. Basically, <laughs> anybody yeah, who had, had lived a life that was inspirational in the faith uh, and had died, they, they were classed as you know, St. Aidan would, 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 would be there um, just after he died. Mm. Um, so, and, and within our own lands, you know, within the British Isles and Ireland, there are a huge amount uh, of, of people in that, this ancient past. Um, that were incredibly inspirational and the stories of the Celtic saints written modern day so people like David Adam uh, who's, who's uh, um, written a, a number of books on the lives of the saints and so have a lot of other modern writers right back to the, the, the people who were writing back in the fifth and sixth century on the lives of these saints mm. um, they're writing stories for the purpose of inspiring the reader or the hearer mm -hmm. So in our modern context, in the kind of the, the, the post-Age of Enlightenment uh, uh, era, um, our understanding of someone's biography is that you have to be very historically accurate. Um, and that's what people want. They want to know the facts mm, about mm -hmm. this person's life. Um, and, but that's a very modern idea. Uh, so before kind of the 1700s, 
the purpose of a life story wasn't to get the historical facts of someone's life. It was to be inspired by them to live a better life ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so the lives of the Celtic saints or the lives of any of the saints really through the years, Francis of Assisi or anyone, the Teresa of Avalon or whatever, um, but Celtic saints particularly, seem to be filled with incredibly miraculous happening. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people will dismiss it and go, well, that's complete nonsense. That obviously didn't happen. It's, you know, there's, there's too much kind of magical stuff going on here. Maybe Columba didn't have an altercation with the Loch Ness monster and send it packing into the lock. You know, the first literary re- uh, reference oh, to the wow. Loch Ness monster comes oh, from the wow. life of St. Columba, you know, written in the 8th century. Wow. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know, Piran didn't float on a, on a millstone uh, across the Cornwall, or maybe Malenga didn't walk across the sea from Ireland to Wales. You know, and this is all nonsense, and, and we just kind of dismiss it. But the, 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 there's two things that, that I think are important from this point. Uh, one is uh, that actually, you know, their life wasn't supposed to be historically accurate. It's mm. not the purpose of writing someone's life. It was to inspire us to live a more holy life, a better life, to, ins- to inspire us to want to be more spiritual in our own journey. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, you know, these, these people were living in a period of time pre-industrialized uh, age, pre kind of the, the, the thrust of cognitive thought being the only way. Um, and so I think, you know, probably a lot of spirituality, a lot of uh, open spirituality happened much more often than we have it now. Um, and, um, you know, so my, my, my thing is, you know, we, we read the Bible on a Sunday morning, or well, not these days, because we're not allowed to go to church together, but at some yes. point, yes. we'll hear a story of the Bible, we'll hear the story of Elisha making an iron axe head float. And then when we, we'll hear the story of Peter getting out the boat and walking on water with Jesus. And we'll sit there and go, wow, isn't God amazing? Look at his this miraculous things. And then we'll read a story about, you know, St. Piran making a, a millstone float or St. Malenga walking across water where she walked into Wales. And we go, well, this is nonsense. How can that be true? And, and I think to myself, well, how can you think the Bible is yes. true saying the same things as these other stories of the people of our faith? Yeah. Uh, and then just dismiss that. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily take everything for granted that they say in their, their life story. I do realize that the, you know, the purpose of it was to inspire holy mm. living. Mm. Um, but I also believe that probably a lot more miraculous stuff happened mm. um, around their life. So the Celtic saints particularly, I find really inspiring for me personally. And their life stories are just amazing. You read some of their life stories, it's like reading the book of Acts, uh, mm. just through the years. Um, and I love them. Uh, and and they, that's what they're there for. They're, they're part of our heritage. We have a rich heritage in our spiritual faith uh, that yeah. we can draw inspiration from. So I love that. I have a few icons with various ones around the house as well. I glance at them and, and I catch that inspiration. I remember their story. Yeah. And I know that you're inspired by a particular uh, Celtic uh, character. I don't know if they were a saint, but uh, is it uh, John Cassian? Because you've just taken on a middle name is that right <laughs> yeah i have so, and actually so yes. um, part of the part of the agent hilda community is once you've taken vows into the community once you become a vowed member there's different ways of living that, that vow out right um, and one of them is to to be a bit more traditionally monastic uh, in the ways rather than kind of the modern uh, lay new monasticism so i've actually just kind of uh, well i say just it's been about 18 months now i took on that role uh, or, or took on that way of living it out. So actually, I took on our community habit as well. So I, I wear our community habit, um, and and I use the name Cassian. So uh, I've become brother Cassian really as as mm. well. Um, 
obviously knowing that for nearly 20 years I've been dated to everybody and a lot of people use Brother Cassian now as well. So yeah, so Brother Cassian or John Cassian um, uh, was, was an inspiration and, and, and an influence on Celtic Christianity. Uh, although he probably wouldn't be classed as a Celtic saint himself mm. or even a Celtic Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so what John Cassian did really, so he was probably the main influence that brought desert monasticism into Western mindset, into Christian mindset. So he was right. around in the fourth fifth century. Um, and, and he spent him and Germanus, one of his best friends, who trained together. And um, they spent a number of years traveling around the desert monastic, the mothers, uh, desert fathers and mothers, um, interviewing them and drawing on their inspiration writing down their their uh, way of life so he wrote two big books called the institutes and the conference um and they were just kind of you know infra- interviews with people like abba moses and uh, people like that uh, and and just kind of you know bringing in this west this this desert monasticism and then came over and planted a place in marseilles in france based on desert monasticism um and it was kind of from that and martin of tours as well um that the desert monasticism came into the mindset of uh, Western Christianity. Um, and, and a huge amount of the later uh, Celtic Christianity was based on desert monasticism. Uh, and so the, the, the biggest influence of, of, of desert monasticism, the biggest way of learning about desert monasticism was through the writings of John Cassian in those days. Wow. So he was hugely influential in, in Celtic Christianity. He was also hugely influential in the contemplative uh, scene. So, you know, basically monasticism is, is where contemplative spirituality comes from. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of uh, mysticism was, was based in the monastic, monastic ideals. And that obviously came from the desert as well. So mm. the different ways that I've found to live out my Christian life, the different parts that resonate with me. Um, John Cassian had, had kind of a, a, an influential hand in all of them. Yeah. So it seemed a sensible yeah. name, kind of, when I was going to take on a name. Uh, so, so yeah. So uh, because I'm not, uh, because our our community, our order is not a residential first order, uh, where you know when you take on a habit, if you move into a Benedictine monastery or, or, or a Trappist monastery, you know you take on the name uh, mm-hmm. as your actual name when you go in there. You kind of just leave the world and behind. Um, because ours isn't isn't like that. I actually did it legally by deed poll as well so i didn't have a middle name before mm. so i i used, i took on cassian legally by deed poll uh, i love it <laughs> and yeah uh, and uh, it became brother cassian um, there we are so yeah just did that earlier this year um, so yeah so cassian was one that i i uh, used because of his his massive influence on uh, all the different aspects of the christian faith that i really connect that's fantastic yeah. um and we mentioned this uh, just a while ago uh, as well but um obviously we're now in lockdown or in and out of lockdown and things and something this year that i've noticed i'm sure you have as well is uh, how people are connecting um with nature and finding Mm. a a spiritual nourishment there and a renewal and you know feeling connected with something that they may not define as god but you know something is drawing them to nature and is is Mm. sort of refreshing them um and sustaining them through this and i just wondered what your reflections are on that really how have you found that yeah, well, I, I think that, that the spiritual connection through nature is, is something that taps into a very primal center of, of each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are very young in our evolution through the uh, industrialized, urbanized age. Um, it takes a lot longer for a species to develop and evolve um, 
to something new and something different than we have given ourselves through industrialization. Mm. So basically, we, you know, the industrialization has been happening for the last two to three hundred years, and it takes, uh, you know, it works in bigger hundreds or thousands of years for a, a, a species to evolve into something. So actually, mm-hmm. we're still very much uh, in our own kind of primal self, connected with the natural cycles and seasons, connected with nature. Um, and it's, it's a much more natural way of being to mm. connect with the transcendent and something more through the natural world, through the seasons and the cycles mm. um, and how it works. Uh, I'm remembering we are actually ourselves in, in uh, a symbiotic relationship and part of that transitional changing and, and, and transformation of the season. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, uh, the, 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 connection that i found so our forest church started in 2014 we've been meeting once a month ever since then mm-hmm. august 2014 um and i was doing some stuff before that and obviously Celtic christianity was always uh, had a very strong uh, nature connection finding god in nature mm. um and and uh, yeah it kind of it, it it just it connects with something uh, within us that is deeper than our in, industrialized urbanized uh, lifestyle um, and and that's where our churches have kind of you know become established, particularly within the last few hundred years. Meeting inside buildings, mm-hmm. you know, separating uh, what, what what's going on outside and what's going on inside. And over this year, you know, we've we've not been allowed to meet in the buildings, which no. is a fantastic thing. I think you know, yes. the whole swathes of people <laughs> have gone. Oh, I've I've not been at church for months, and I'm still a Christian. Oh, yes. How does that work? I had to go to church every week. Oh, anyway, yeah. and and within that kind of going outside and going meeting mm, mm. God, and I've 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 encountered a number of people who have said, I just I just don't want to go back. I don't no. want to go back. The meeting inside a building. I want to carry on meeting outside. Mm. I've had better experiences outside, um, and I think that's just simply because we are still, as a species, mm. in our transcendent self, connected with the natural world, and that's where we discover God in our in our natural self. It's actually, I think, unnatural uh, mm. to meet too much inside buildings. So I agree. Very much <laughs> that's, that's really come out. Yeah, that's really yeah. come out with a lot of the ways of, of uh, life this over this last year, and, yeah. and hopefully. Um, whatever the future holds of what we're allowed to do and how we can be and live, I'm hoping that this mm-hmm. will continue to change and continue to be a change uh, within the way people do things. So they'll carry on meeting outside. Yeah. God out and it, it, you know, it, it's part of our spiritual heritage. The Jews did it. It's in the New Testament. You know, it, you know, it, it's part of what we do and who we are as a spiritual context as well as. Mm as a people as a, as, a, as a species yeah definitely and for me you know it's just this basic uh, there's a basic idea that you know god if we think of god as the creator then mm. being close to his creation should bring us close to him yeah. and that's that's kind of certainly yeah. been my sort of journey as well but um but especially this year <laughs> even more yeah. so um right final question <laughs> um and this is one that i gave you you know a couple of days ago um but what what is inspiring oh, yeah. you most right now it can be anything yeah. you like but what are you finding nourishing inspiring you know what's giving you hope at the moment yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I've been thinking about it since you, you told me we we're going to finish the interview with it. Um, mm. and I, I, it's such a difficult one to answer um, because 
I have I have a kind of a general sense of inspiration from 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 God through everything that I do. Yeah. Um, but I think um, there's, there's a couple of things that I find particularly inspiring at the moment. One is the what we've just been talking about uh, is, is the natural world, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I always find that inspiring. Just going out and being in nature, I always find that inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I continue to do that, and I have a lovely little woodland just outside of where mm-hmm. I live here. Uh, so I live in the middle of the new forest, of course, which is 152 square miles of national parkland. But actually, yes. on the the plot where I actually physically live, I live in an old converted manor house. So there's a woodland that just belongs to this place. Amazing. Um, go and wander in. It's, it's fantastic. So um, yeah, you don't have to contend with the public and stuff. You just have your own space in the trees. Yes. And I always find that incredibly inspiring. And I always love watching and, and experiencing the transitional season. Mm. Uh, autumn mm. is my favourite. Uh, yeah. Watching things change um, and remembering that actually this is a normal pattern in life. Change, letting go, things being lost. It's a mm. natural part mm. of, of life. Um, yeah. But the other thing particularly this year I think I'm finding inspiring is uh, the, the, the resilience in, in, in people uh, and in mm. being able to try and continue to live life to its best despite what's going on. And I think this really shows an aspect of humanity um, that is often lost when everything's comfortable and going okay. Yeah. Uh, and over the last year, uh, there has been a sense of, of uh, this, this human resilience that has come out uh, from us, that we are going to carry on and things are going to be fine. And there is some great things that have happened because of this, this uh, virus. And there have been some horrendous things that have mm. happened because mm. of this virus, of course, mm. you know, the massive death, the horrendous thing. Mm. But the shift in people's outlook on life mm. realizing that they don't have to feel their life and be so busy to be fulfilled as a person uh, mm. because they've just not been allowed to or able to over the last year and okay. um, so you know, that's been an inspiration so just kind of watching in friends that i know and and just generally uh, in, a, in a wider global context the resilience mm. of our human nature uh, yeah. to, and to help one another as well you know all the apocalyptic films that we've been watching over the last 20 years completely wrong yes. you know the end of the world was at, the, at our fingertips and nobody went and smashed all the shop windows and nicked everything actually everyone was very it polite it didn't turn into Mad Max uh, no <laughs> it didn't turn into Mad Max no. No, it, it, it turned into Downton Abbey more than anything you know everyone's yeah. going no 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 I'm sorry you go in no no I never no no after space. you <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah just yeah. The, the, the aspect of our human nature and the resilience of that yeah just been an inspiration fantastic well thank you David and, and that honestly listening to you and your story has I found that really inspiring myself so thank you for bringing some inspiration to me this morning as well and um thank you for being part of our pioneer podcast I hope it wasn't too yeah, painful great. <laughs> no not at all bless you thank bless you. you take care